You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. And we're live. This is The Human Condition. I'm Vince Orlando. I'm Sean Davis. We have a special guest here today. I'm Justin Cole. You might remember him from way back when. <laughs> August. 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 19. Wow. We've been doing it for a minute, haven't we? Yeah. Aren't we going on... This is 26. So this is this is our oh shit. Check it out. This happy is a year. Anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is our year. Um happy One anniversary year. to us. And and what a perfect what, what a more perfect uh subject to speak on is death on our year anniversary. Why not? Uh, <laughs> you know. That, that's ironic. <laughs> that's ironic. Well, we'll hop right in. Um so death, uh, everybody has their perception on what death is. I I recently experienced Death to somebody from from see how we see how we automatically victimize ourselves when it comes to the death of another person. Like we we um, Make we death about us. It's about us and what's left. What we're left having to bear the burden of, and and that's not the proper way to do it. Well, I guess that's perspective, right? Yeah. What what's the proper way? Everybody has their own way of dealing with things, but. Um, Sparky, uh, you know Sparky, yeah. right? Over at Renaissance Unity. So, me and Sparky got pretty close. Sparky was, uh, I, I have trouble still, as, as much as I know better, I have trouble with, with one-on-one intimate, intimate relationships. I'm good in a group, right? I, I can speak in a group and put me on camera with a character to hide behind, and I can emote like crazy. But there's still a, a, a way for me to a veil for me to hide behind. So when it comes to one-on-one conversations, I get a little awkward, and uh, it takes a certain kind of person to kind of pull me back into a space to where I'm forced to to do these one-on-one conversations, and I find myself pushing myself into these these uh, these venues more now because I need it. I know this is something I need for growth. It's it's attached to parts of myself that I haven't resolved yet. My subconscious um, fear of intimacy or whatever. Sparky was a uh, a guy that wouldn't allow me to hide in that place. You know, he'd send these these uh, these novels of text, and they were the sweetest texts in the world. And I, my gut reaction to them at first was, uh, well, he's probably this is a blanket text. He sent this to everybody. Meanwhile, he's saying Prince Vince or uh, Saint Vincent or whatever, and hug the angels for me, talking about my kid. They're real personal, yeah. but I'm saying uh, he probably sent this to everybody, and then he copied and pasted. Because I really don't want to respond on an intimate level. He pulled me into that intimacy, and he's kind of like a spiritual mentor to me in that way. So I haven't had anybody in my life die that's been real close to me. My aunt recently, you know, but we were estranged when my mom left my father. So some of that closeness that I had with her when we were kids, that that dissipated. So it wasn't – it affected me. But it didn't affect me, and it wasn't like an everyday thing where I was seeing her. And Sparky was because we were working on his house, and and uh, and it's different when. So the the first thing that I experienced was the void. Right, you know, you're going to have a void. Somebody close to you dies, and how do you deal with that? And then I'm thinking about, well, we didn't get to finish his house and turn it into the community center. Ego, right? This is all ego stuff. It's about me. What did I not accomplish? How am I feeling about this? 
and then I, I was able to turn it over to the spiritual and say, well, this guy is deeply spiritual. And if, you know, in unity principles, it, it, this guy lives them, walks them, breathes them. So if that's the case, well, he's he's just made his transition into that better place. And why would that not be celebrated, right? Because we're going to make that transition. And I kept thinking, well, when I do make my transition, I would want other people to celebrate the the light that I left behind and not – yeah, I, I think there was a time where I was a kid where I wanted people to be cr- to cry. I would fantasize people being at my funeral and really being broken up over it. And that's not so much the case anymore. Now I I, I view death differently. I don't I don't see it as permanent. I, I don't even know that it's a thing. How many but, viewings you've been to? A lot more more than I'd like to. I've had a lot of friends die from overdoses yeah. and, and you know early out of Hazel Park. So suicides, overdoses. There's been more than probably. Well, you're in the recovery community, yeah, I so to, I, I mean, 2014 it, till probably like 2019, probably like 60. Yeah, it's it's insane in that community. Yeah, when I when I went into treatment, um, it, it, that's the first time I'd really been around the whole opioid epidemic. I knew people that did. They they popped their uh, I I've had friends that have died from heroin. They did it in private though. It really wasn't in our generation. It wasn't something you could do in plain view, right? Mm. There was a stigma to it. You don't smoke crack. You don't do heroin. If you do, you're on your own kind of thing. But with the younger generation, it became something you could do in the open. And at the first time I was exposed to the opioid epidemic with this younger generation was in that center, and uh, I can't I, I can't even count the amount of people that were really cool, young people, they're dead. They're just yeah. gone. They left the treatment center and months later they're, you know, you you connect with them, you're on Facebook, whatever. You're not buddy buddy, right? But you you still keep in contact and next thing you know they're they're gone. It's tragic. It's tragic. See that that's a different kind of death, right? Like that tragic sudden death to where, you know, with Sparky, he had resolved some shit. Like he 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 had a, he had ascended to a different level of existence, right? To where he was almost he was human, but almost Christ-like in his thinking. To where you kind of know that he's up there playing, doing bigger works now. And then when somebody when their life is taken away from them tragically like that, it puts a whole different spin on it. You know, based on what you're saying, I, the question I have is, I think. Uh, why do you think there's a temptation to make someone else's death about our ourselves? I don't know that there's a temptation. I just think it's a it's a natural that we're egocentric, right? That from human beings are just egocentric. We we rely on somebody for the first what eighteen years of our life to get us through school, to feed us, to clothe us, to put roofs over our heads. I mean, not all of us. I mean, I you know, but. For the most part, we're we're in an egocentric society. Human beings were very reliant upon one another to even survive for at least the first couple of years to change us to de- to definitely feed us. So we kind of I think we're, it's an innate thing for us to take everything in and make it our responsibility. And I think that's where a lot of our I don't think I know I I know for a fact where a lot of my hangups come from as it pertains to PTSD. It, it's that. I've made everything my responsibility. So I I view everything as me. When my parents didn't work or when I would get beat as a kid, 
that was me. I, I, that's all me. So then everything beyond that was me. So how do, how does everything that happens out there relate to me egocentrically? Now there's a spiritual way and I, I guess a higher, um, the higher self way of, of relating back to yourself. Now I can look at things and say, I felt this way or this thing happened. What did I do? to allow that to, to manifest in my life. That's different than taking everything back and putting it on, on me in an egocentric way. This is, um, but I, I just, I just think we're wired that way. So when that death happens, we feel that void and that's what we react to it, it you know, and, and then we have to make a choice to be responsive rather than reactive. It's gotta be a, I mean, for me, I with Sparky, I'm, I'm pretty far along on my spiritual path. I still have a long way to go, but I still had to pull myself out of that. That how does this affect me? You know, and that's. But it was a choice. The gut response was me. You know, I don't get wrapped up like I used to about death, even ones that happen sudden or the old timer that you know gets a terminal illness and, you know, ends up passing away. I just, I always really, you know, we all have spiritual contracts. We all made them before we came here. And, you know, you and your creator came to a, a conclusion of when the spiritual contract is going to come to an end. And when it comes to an end, you got to go back home. And I really just kind of always keep that type of uh, mindset that they're just going home. And I'm they, with you on that. That they've done what they came here to do. They've completed all the things they were meant to complete and, and they go back home. You know, you like, you know, the, you know, you posted the John Lennon quote the other day, you know, death is merely getting out of one car and into another. Yeah. You know, that's all I look at it as. I don't look at it as a permanent thing. Well, and you've ascended to that point, right? Because there's there's a good portion of the population that doesn't right. they don't have the ability to see things that way, and it's it's different when you start to feel things that way, and that can only come as a result of your spiritual growth. Because if I hadn't grown to the level I had, I couldn't relate to anything you just said. Wouldn't make any sense to me. I'd be like, well, that's nice to say, and that might, and I might even view it as cold, right? And, and that this is just this person's way of not dealing with it. I don't think that way because I agree with you. 100%. I mean, there's pain. There will be pain, but I don't grieve very long. <clears throat> I don't, I'm not much of a griever. Because know, what you say is true. A, a day or two, I go through certain ritual uh, that I do. And then, you know, I, I really look at it more as, you know, a celebration, even if they left tragically. You know, you get to go back home. You get to go back to your ancestral family tree. True. Fucking A. True. I mean, and then, it, you know, I, I was uh, with Sparky. I said, you know, my and I made the correlation between him and my aunt. And I think where I was jostled a little more by my aunt, um, even though I, I, at the time I was closer with Sparky, almost, you know, spiritual brother, um, is that there there was some unresolved shit for her, you know she still has some thing Sparky might be in that place we're all trying we're aspiring to get to as spiritual 
beings having human experience, like he ascended some things. Maybe there's some unresolved stuff for him to come back to this planet and, and work out another time, another place. But, um, but with my aunt, there's still work to be done, yeah. right? So I don't know what that means, but if if this uh, if if this journey right here for us is any indication of you know what it takes to grow, which is typically pain. You need pain. You need resistance. You need, without that, you, there's really no growth. So, when I look at somebody who dies in an unresolved fashion, or or that hasn't ascended to speak in the language that you just have and be able to feel those types of things and know them to be true, I, I guess I kind of sympathize with the work left to be done. I'm not attached to it. You know what I mean? I'm not attached to it, and I'm. And I personally view death in the same way you do physical death. It, yeah. And I even view death in a different way from a, a physics perspective, which we were kind of talking about before we started. But, um, but yeah. But the way you spoke just now—that's my idea. That's that's the. I believe that's the truth. But I, five years ago, that's bullshit. You know what I mean? <laughs> to me, that that's. Sure, I think <clears throat> I think the link between uh, you know ascension, what whatever Sean is uh, talking about, and, and the egocentric side of it, the link there is fear. I, I think absolutely we might do it in a way that feels egocentric. I mean, you could call it selfish or self-centered to make another person's death about yourself, but I think it's there's. It, it's a way of reconcil reconciling uh, the unknown to us in, in, in a way. Um, I think with lack of understanding, uh, we try to put answers to to the unexplainable. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, another person dying is also a reminder to ourselves that, that we're going to be there one day, or right. yeah, or that life shorter. Um, or to hug it, the people close to you, you know? Right. There's always some sort of like negative connotation given to it. And, uh, you know, what Sean's talking about of of that viewpoint or that perspective, I mean, um, is really good or bad, right or wrong. It doesn't really matter. I mean, we've, we've yet to answer the question. Um, religiosity has tried to answer the question. And, uh, and many people live as a way to uh, – uh, to ascend the gates of heaven after after they die, it's 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 really an answer um, to the unknown, to the to that fear that's comfortable for people, and mm -hmm. and um, agree with it or not agree with it. I, I understand it um, and why it works and how it works, um, but I think there's there's a component to what we're talking about of. Um, why why we feel it's necessary to to place meaning or or limits on the limitless i would say you know death death being limitless or like an understanding of god right like most people's understanding of god is this omnipotent benevolent omnipresent um so so what does god lack in that case well the only thing god lacks is limits and what you mentioned as far as pain leading to growth um those limits end up lead, leading to suffering um and then all limits as, as, lead to as, suffering as, right yeah. right it, it's the limits that we have 
we, we create it and that's how I understand it related to the ego in this case, in many cases, but uh, talking about death here is we're trying to uh, place meaning upon or add a limit to the to that which is limitless. Um, I, I think very much in the same manner of, of trying to conceptualize um, whatever higher power or higher being is out there. And that's um, that's limited too when you try to conceptualize absolutely that which is limitless, mm-hmm. and and that is where. But we're human, right? Mm-hmm. We're human, and this is our human experience. And if if you haven't stepped into the realm of the spiritual, well, you're confined to the five senses. This this is your absolute truth. So, so yeah, when when some that's in physical death, people tend to view it as permanent. That's the end of all that is, right? Everything that we're ever going to experience, this is where it all ends. So how could you not be rocked by that if that's your your viewpoint, mm-hmm. you know? Well, it's hard not to have that viewpoint because I think the automatic tendency is to believe or, or to know somewhere deep down inside like that's the end of my experience with that person. And right. and, to, and right. to then transfer that over into being in general, um, and to, and to place that limit upon upon death, um, you know, if I was, uh, you know, just for you know, if we lost somebody close to us, uh, I want to reconcile that loss um, through grief. Um, you know the the. Clinical term, you know, that's become popular is, is grief, but it's. Um, I see it more as just trying to reconcile and make meaning of it with myself, um, rather than than just, uh, um, you know, the. I guess a quote that I heard that was probably the best thing I've ever, I've I've heard on grief is that. Uh, Grief is a temple we should visit on occasion, uh, regardless of of what temple you make. Um, that that person's going to enter in to your memory, to your consciousness later on down the road, and you place any sort of, uh, um, you, you know, you you grieve that in that moment in whatever way you could, whether it's through uh, saying a prayer, or sending out a vibe, or just kind of following that memory of that individual through to the end and then just, you know, and, and then we're on to the next thing. Um, I, I think, in my opinion, that that's the healthy way. That's the natural way to go about it rather than just placing placing this exuberant meaning and, and <laughs> like uh, – Making it bigger than it is. Right. You know, make Just making it bigger than it is. Well, what it all boils down to is non-attachment, mm-hmm. right? Non-attachment. And the way I view non-attachment, and, and, uh, because that, can be, that term can be viewed as cynical, right? As, well, I'm not attached to anything. It's not that. It's that I embrace impermanence. So who am I to say – and and I always use my kids in as an example, and I, I don't want to do that because I want to manifest some bad shit. But 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 if I'm truly gonna, well, that's the toughest loss you can imagine. And and I can't I can't even possibly conceive of anything even remotely close to something tragic befalling my kids. But 
who's to say that that's not supposed to happen? So that's that's where you really have to get into practice and non-attachment. I can't say that you're not supposed to have cancer. I can't say that I'm not supposed to get cancer and I'm not supposed to live through that for some reason. I don't know what the reason is. And for me to try to conceive of the reason is placing a limit on that I'm attaching to to whatever I believe the reason is. I just have to I have to I have to let it be. I have, I have to visit that temple and I ha- and I have to leave that temple at some point. And if I if I'm attached to what's going to happen once I get in that temple and what should happen as a result of my visitation there, I'm going to suffer, you know, and most people suffer through death. There's people that that, you know, their husband dies and they never get over it. And the rest of their life is lived confined to the prison of I was victimized by this loss, you know, because they're attached to this idea trauma. Well, the trauma, you know, trauma you know, like if you lose a child, you know, uh, some people just don't ever recover from that. Well, and if it's your fault, you know, I, if, if you if you take fault on yeah, it and, and it could fault, be, it could you know, be, you know, what if you were driving? You know, I always think about these things. You're driving drunk with your your kids and you get in an accident and you live. How the fuck do you live with that? You know what I mean? Like the these are things that I ponder all the time because. Because I don't want to just put spiritual concepts out there and play holier than thou because I believe them and they make me feel good. Like I really want to conceive of what somebody else might be going through. But don't you think that the spiritual concepts that you believe, like I use them as a way to rationalize things that have no definition or have no, you know – like you can't when someone's get cancer and you know you're trying to find meaning and all that like i let that go a long time ago because it's really a waste of energy to try to find meaning of like why people are here why they're not here who lives who dies the grand design ain't none of my business it never has been my business we make it our business. We they you you can try to make yeah. it your business, but you're only gonna end up fucking yourself Suffering. in the mind. And like I had to like just you know, like like a hands off approach, you know. My best friend committed suicide. We were both twenty one at the time, you know, and that one rocked me pretty hard. Um but in the same sense, like we were both alcoholic and uh and i can tell i understand why he did what he did you know he ended up getting popped down in north carolina he had a firearm in the car i think he was like shooting jackrabbits or something um and had a pistol in the car and you know went to jail and this kid is not like you know a tough guy or anything like biggest drama entertainer type that yeah. you'll ever meet, you know, loved being lead singer in a band and stuff. And, uh, you know, I can feel that when he got locked up that he started to panic and he started to go through withdrawal and he probably didn't know what was going on and hung himself with the fucking sheet in the jailhouse and uh 
what's so fucked up is two years later, I got popped for my third DUI, and uh, it was on a Friday night, and I got ended up in jail, and like I tried to hang myself with my fucking pants in the holding cell, and I could understand and look back and feel what he was feeling and uh you know they cops once they saw that shit man they fucking rushed me to beaumont and like put you on watch shot me up with a bunch of shit and then took me back to the holding cell and i was pretty much like a a fish out of water like for two days but um you know when that happened i had to really look and and just honor the journey regardless of anything just honor the journey you know i grieved for a long time but you know i'm not i don't need to know why he's no longer here no cuz it's we, not my business no it's not still miss him dearly think about him all the time you know uh, he was the, I remember one time, like I was a lot less outgoing in high school and this motherfucker would be singing Cecilia down the fucking hallway in high school with like four girls and just like charming the fuck out of them and just like having a great time. He'd be singing like Cat Stevens and shit. Like it was just one of the funnest people that I ever had the the pleasure of meeting on the planet. And, uh, but when it came to drugs and alcohol, you know, we, we just couldn't stop. It's a dark place. It's a dark place. And, but at least you didn't take it as your fault, you know? No, because that that's that's a that's a hard. Even though you you mourn somebody who who uh, takes their own life, there's there's always the risk that somebody takes it upon themselves to say, "Well, I could have been there. I could have done this. I should have. I could have." You know, it, again, it's taking it back onto ourselves. And I think that's still all ego, even oh, as for much one hundred percent. You know, and even though you don't wanna like i don't think most people classify that as ego um no that's not a a popular you know <laughs> version of um, what the ego is. but it just i don't have that much power i only have the amount of power that my god has given me i can't i can't change you know there's there's one thing like when your spiritual contract is up it's up and there ain't a fucking thing you can do to change that. It's true. It, it just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter when you got to go home, you got to go home. You know, I used to be deathly afraid of flying. Yeah. Real bad control freak because not because, you know, I did this tough guy act and, and, uh, and I controlled, to the extent that I believed I could, everything around me, not because I was able to, but because I was scared shitless of abandonment, of all the things that could happen. As a reason. I lived in a state of fight or flight, 
people would be having a conversation with me. I'm fighting for my life in this conversation. Like it has nothing to do with what's going on, but I need to control you. I need to keep this all close to me. And flying was one of those things. So when I first moved out to L.A., I drove. And for probably about a year, all I would do is drive back and forth. Um Seriously, it's a long fucking drive. Well, and, and you know, I was transporting illegal shit too half the yeah. time. But, but, uh, but at first I wasn't. I just wouldn't fly. And then uh, the first flight I took back to uh, first flight I ever took, the ATF showed up on my doorstep out in uh, out in uh, California, Vince Orlando. Yeah, uh, you've been subpoenaed to a grand jury for some bullshit that happened back in Michigan that that I was loosely linked to. But uh, so that was my first flight. I was forced into it scared shitless um but after that happened i was like all right well i kind of have to i live here you know I, I live in la but my family's back here and whatever so i i i would always come to grips with my mortality before i stepped on every flight i would start sending out texts to people how i loved them and things like that uh because i was scared shitless i thought because i, I don't have any control of this you know what i mean it, the, I the most scary part about it is i didn't control it and like a vehicle driving across the country with 300 pounds of marijuana back when it was a real crime to do that in, in the right. vehicle. And my life's on the line, right? But I, I'd breeze through that, been pulled over, talked my way out of it, just breeze through that shit. But I can't get on this flight and let this trained individual take me from one place to the next. But the most calm, this is the first time I ever experienced transcendental meditation, what it was to be non-attached. It was inadvertent. Uh, I was on a flight from short flight from New York to uh, Detroit, and the, the plane started going down to the point where shit was hitting the ceiling, and and uh, everyone's screaming. The girl that's with me, she's freaking out, clenching my hand. And based on who I was leading into every flight and my fear of that, you'd think that I'd go along for that ride, but. I remember the calm that came over me in that moment. I just there was there was just this like I felt like I, I was home. It was like having a, a transcendental meditative experience or a psychedelic experience where I just like DM, DMT. When I did DMT, it's like I went home and I just kind of sat there and I was calm. I was calm and I was looking around and everything moved into slow motion. Then eventually the plane leveled out. But I'll, I'll never forget that moment because that was the first time I ever felt that. It, it, I, I was just unattached to everything going on around me, and I just felt I felt peaceful. It was weird. I, I, I still remember the way my eyes glazed over, and I just and it was just calm. It was just calm. I was just along for the ride. Um, I don't even know why that came up, but it, <laughs> but it did. You know, based on my fear of flying and death and all of that, my attachment to the fact that I should be here and that I should not die. Now I get on a flight. It's like eh, anybody can die. You know, anybody can die. When I'm traveling with uh, my kids internationally, I still think about the shit because deep down there's still an attachment to we should still be here and we should make it from this place to that place. But as you're flying over the Atlantic and you got your two little kids, it, it, it's, it's always a good exercise to put my ego in check and say, well, why are we any different than anybody else on this flight? Anything could happen. If it does happen, so be it. I don't know why I still have to go through these exercises in my mind, but it's uh, it just shows how powerful the subconscious is, right? It, it will it will bring itself to the surface at any given opportunity, but it's good because spiritually we get to play with that, and I think that's what death does. When you talk about us trying to make sense 
physical death anyway, us trying to make sense of it or how does this apply to us, my existence, there's the mirror effect, right? And if you're not a spiritual person, you're not thinking of the mirror effect, but your reaction to this says something says something about you, says a lot about things that may be unresolved in you. And if you can look at things that way, that's that's a spiritual concept of how how does this apply to me without me being attached to the actual event, right? Like how did my feelings about this, my feelings about this says something, says something deep about me. What, what and we take it back in, we're, we should, I believe we should take it back into ourselves and really look at our reaction to it. Because at the end of the day, that's all you control, right? Your reaction. That's it. Don't control how that person passed. You you don't control any, and even for the person who may have been dri- driving drunk with their kids, and I, I, that's still a tough one for me when I think about it. Like how do you how do you move past that ever in your life? How do you move past that? Who says you will? It's, well, you have to, right? You have to. You don't have to. You kind of do. Like that's that's what this journey. I believe that's what this journey is about: is overcoming these things. Oh yeah. What What did you do to bring you to this place to where that's the shit you have to overcome? That's. I don't know. We're kind of veering off a little bit, but I. It's it's on the subject of death and and uh, how do you detach from that? Save that for another episode, I guess. But I, I don't. I, it's, it's a valid question. When dealing with death, like how do you – if something is actually your fault, you know, if you took part in this somehow, how do you deal with – if when you're a military person, I guess you could say they're the enemy. But what if you have this this spiritual realization that humans are humans and we're all one and then you have to relive the fact that you've killed these people? Like how do you deal with that? I mean, there's a tremendous amount of shame. <clears throat> I'm sure. I mean, there's mm-hmm. th- there's got to be count countless examples out there. Um, couldn't re- couldn't recall any, but I'm sure they're out there. I mean, there's there's been how many times have we heard about a you know a father or mother driving mm-hmm. drunk yeah. and you know they they have to, you know they were the lone survivor and their their child or children were killed. Um, to be able to to uh, process through that, I I think like anything else, there there's uh, there's defenses that probably go up, and you have um, to let go, right? You have to at a certain point just let go. And body keeps the score. There's one of those examples, right? You're right. If you, if you want to rise above it, if you want to grow from it, I don't know as if a lot of people that experience that. Um, would even necessarily arrive at that, right? I don't know. I think I, th- I or even contemplate there, it. There, there would be. I I could imagine <clears throat> there would just end up being a, a lifelong hell of victimization, right? Um, they Man. continue to relive that. Um, that moment becomes the the defining moment of their life. You know the the crossroads or the. Um, the stuck point PTSD, the stuck point. Now sure. they, this is it. This yeah. Is it. yeah, it'd be the same thing. I mean, especially in something like a, a, a very violent way where you're, where you were uh, present in that, um, like a car accident. There, there would be a, a defense that goes up. There would be a tremendous amount of shame. There would be 
a response to that shame, um, which would just be succumbing to it or um, attempting to over control it. Um, and, and then you, you uh, attempt to victimize yourself or, or, or more than likely would victimize yourself unconsciously. Um, Absolutely. And, and oh, the, re the rest of your life you'd imagine – I'd imagine you'd label yourself – my temptation if that were the case would be to just label myself a um, – Murderer? A monster. Yeah. A mon yeah. And you know what's crazy in reading Body Keeps the Score, right? So I, I looked at some of those examples and I'm like, well – I didn't experience that. Then I start to minimize what it is that I still go through. I don't go through it to the extent that I used to. I know better. I have tools at my disposal to be able to process through these emotions when they come to me innately. Like I, I'm not in control of that. But if you run the brain scan physiologically, the person who, who got into that car accident and watched their children die or watched – I think it was a, her husband actually, but in the book. But mm -hmm. it looks the same. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same in the brain. Mm -hmm. So when I read that, I'm like, wow. So so I, I do a disservice to myself by minimizing my trauma because at the end of the day, it's all the same trauma. And it's then, relative. Right. And then we can go into this – the whole concept of – the Buddhist concept of non-attachment. Well – that's where it is. You know, the person in prison who murdered a bunch of people and then finds God or Jesus, you know, or, or on a real deep visceral level and that's happened, right? Well, they had to let that go at some point. Society doesn't want you to let that shit go, right? You're – anyway, we're, we're veering off, but it's, it's interesting to think about things at that level. You know, we, we've talked about death – in the spiritual context, we've talked about death in the physical context. There's there's a, another form that – it's not another form. It's all relative. Like you just said, it's all relative. All of this shit's relative. We're just putting different different labels on on what it is. But I know from my mind, for me to, to delve back into spirituality, quantum physics played a big role in that. Now I could understand energy at, at a at – a, level that was scientifically proven, right? And it just helped me to kind of merge these two parts, sides of my brain that, that seem to fire, you know, back and forth pretty well. They communicate well. And if one isn't understanding something, well, there's a, a you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. But for me, quantum physics was something that, uh, that, that brought me into spirituality because I didn't know what God was. I, I, God was stigmatized. The church was shit. You know what I mean? That, that was, it was all bullshit to me. And then the birth of my son, ketamine, and uh, and quantum physics L put me back on the spirit. Not back because I was never on it, but it realigned me with whatever my creator is. Um, so in death, um, you know, we have the, the the whole thing that made us talk about this episode is we were talking about entropy in uh, in the last episode. So and entropy, all death is really, from a, a physics perspective, is entropy. It's we look at it as as this this uh, devolvement into chaos. That's how we view entropy from a human perspective. When we see a, 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 a super nebula um, or supernova, um, 
we view that as cataclysmic, right? But really it's not. It's the accumulation of new information and then it, it springs forth into the universe as such. And that's what death is from a physics perspective. It's this accumulation of information and now this 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 case that we walk around in, it can't contain that information and this new information springs forth into the universe. That That accumulation happens – the body degrades and then the accumulation happens in the conscious – in our consciousness. And we talk about the other law, the first law, thermodynamic, the conservation of energy. So we accumulate all of this energy in our consciousness and then that consciousness goes out into wherever. It becomes part of this this infinite connectedness and for anybody who's had a near-death experience or a psychedelic experience or or transcendental experience, you felt this oneness. So then there's that perception of death also and that's that's something that helps to guide me, the spiritual aspects of it, which I can't say – I can't say it's true or not. I don't know what God is. I just know I feel that presence and I believe that we are all one and then I can go over to quantum physics and I can say, well, well, even from uh, from a material perspective, we are all one. There was, there was a singularity, right? And then this life was sprung forth. So that's what death is also to me. And there, there's a great book. I met this um, – I can't remember her name right now, but she's she's a physicist that I met at the uh, Conference for Consciousness and Human Evolution when I was out in London. And uh, she has this book on entropy. And rather than saying the Big Bang, she calls it the Big Breath. And you know, you take that relatively into what death is and that's really what it is. It's this Big Breath. We, we've – we really haven't lost anything. We've just we've gained what we needed to gain. Like you said, the journey's done for whatever reason, and now we're going to spring forth into the universe with this new information, and then that becomes whatever's next. So it's a transition point rather than anything permanent. There's nothing permanent to it. You know, even from a physics perspective, if you're a scientist, you look at a guy like Sam Harris, right? And and uh, and they would tout him as the leader of the uh, new atheist movement. Well, he's not. Yeah, the guy's got a meditation practice that's thriving. You know what I mean? So there's so even from this the realm of the physical, there's uh, you don't. I guess you don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to think about God. You don't have to think about those things to know that there's something that lies beyond. So that's another conception of death that that I like to I like to toy with. What do you guys think about <clears throat> so if essentially what you're talking about is it is whatever sort of energy moving on um what effect or do you think the pain and suffering moves on as well? So no. essentially do you think the limitations Move on as well. So, so if in life we our limitations lead to our suffering, suffering which lead to our growth, then what's the purpose in our energy moving on to the next stage without the aspects of ourselves that we learned from? So, when you learn something, do you still feel the pain? Or are you at peace with it? Well, I, I don't think you can learn if you suffer. Suffering stagnates growth. Pain perpetuates growth if you learn from it. Right. So if when I make my transition, 
you know, if I'm at peace, I would figure that the suffering and all the other shit ain't going to come along with it. You've already alleviated it. If right. you're at peace, you've a, a, a right. guy like Sparky. You know what I mean? He's yeah. he, the suffering's been alleviated. Yeah. I I don't suffer anymore. Yes, I I feel pain, but you know, there's nothing to take with you. And I I don't think I don't think in that realm we take anything with us. But if if there's suffering captured, like in the case of my aunt, where I believe there there was some suffering captured. I think now you have to go into this, you know, and this is where we can talk about reincarnation or whatever. I believe it's a real thing. I, I believe your energy is not you. You haven't you haven't uh, f- you haven't freed the energy. It's not clean, clear, pure energy. So there's things that still have to be achieved in in a physical sense. Do I know that? I don't. I don't know that to be true. I, I, it's a we novel, don't know any of this shit. Yeah, it's a novel concept, <laughs> I, you know. But it, it it makes sense that that uh, there there needs to be a purification of the energy. I I would I would twenty one grams, you know. Yeah, I twenty one grams that your body weighs less twenty one grams when you die. I think about really horrific deaths like. Uh, like genocide, like the Holocaust, mm. things like that, right. for example. Um, w- would all the people that suffered and all of um, – why wouldn't all the components of, of their being, what, what makes them everything they are? Um, I'm a big proponent of like self-acceptance around – being human, you know, and my and my faults, my own limitations. Um, as long as I I approach those things with a a certain level of honesty, then I have a chance of um, actually dealing know, with them. Coming uh, at least <laughs> I don't know how to put, at least coming over the peak with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how far I evolve past that, uh, I, I don't know how much of that is up to me. But if I can be honest about my limitations, I, I can I can come over the peak of it and, you know, look upon a new valley or just have a different perspective mm-hmm. around uh, what's going on. Uh, I think maybe to do ourselves a disservice by by not having – the limits of ourself or the suffering that we experienced, would that then be like, is our afterlife just for us or is our afterlife to benefit future generations? And if our afterlife is just for us on that tangent, I could see us being free from suffering or um, the suffering that I've experienced that I have peace around, then then I'm then yes I'm I'm I take that with me and I'm free of the rest right yeah. but if my experience here on earth was meant to be uh, a learning experience of future generations and to the benefit of human evolution uh, wouldn't I need to carry that some some of that energy on with me without that. I, I guess that's where I'm going with the question about 
Um, you know, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know. Well, the Buddhists talk um, about it. They they talk about that and what the uh, so once you've achieved nirvana, there's nothing left for you. There's right the various levels. Sure. Then then you're done, and and that's once you've achieved God consciousness. Once you're Christ and the crucifixion happens on the cross, and and you've shed your blood for for humanity as a whole. There's nothing left for you. You can't exist on this plane anymore. You know, and metaphorically, metaphysically, they they speak of when Christ rose and was in the garden, they didn't recognize Christ as Christ because Christ couldn't exist or or Jesus. There was no – they labeled him Christ, but they couldn't see, you know what I mean? And then Christ, Jesus spoke and said, it's me, right? There was no way to recognize this being because – Christ had ascended in suffering, but Christ chose that, right? So, so when Jesus chose to, because there there were ways out, he didn't have to suffer like that. In the same way that Martin Luther King knew that he was going to get assassinated, and the speech that he gave right before his life was taken, he knew that he was walking into to it. So they walked into the suffering, and. It wasn't suffering for them. I have to believe that that wasn't suffering for them because they made this choice. They knew that there was something bigger than the suffering. They knew that it was a part of a bigger plan, right? A bigger plan. So, so it wasn't suffering to them in the way that we see it. We see somebody getting jabbed on a cross. We didn't see it, but we hear of it, and immediately we think of, oh, how, how that, that must have hurt. Oh, I couldn't stand. You know what I mean? But this person walked into it and. Whether it's true or fiction, I mean, there's a lot of historical accounts from various different sects that would say that this actually happened, right? But whether it did or not is irrelevant. The metaphysical meaning of that crucifixion is you walk into the suffering, therefore there is no suffering, and and you're able to ascend at that point to what we call God consciousness or nirvana or whatever different spiritual, you know, Mother Earth, whatever you want to call it. Now you're able to transcend because you don't suffer anymore because you take life. It's kind of what acceptance is in addiction, right? You accept that this is this is the thing, right? This is the thing and I, I'm not going to – I can't control all of these things outside of me. So I'm just going to accept them. I'm going to roll with them in some form or fashion. I'm going to find a way to make it myself okay with this. When your contract's up. When it's up, Contract's it's up. up. And you look at the people that have had a lasting effect, right, that seem to have ascended, people like Martin Luther King, who walk seemingly right into their own death and they're prophetic about it and they don't care. You know, Wayne Dyer talks about the the, the uh, in Wisdom of the Ages, the greatest um, teachers, speakers of all time, the, the ones that had the lasting effect and they had these three traits about them and they all pertain to non-attachment. They were, they were unattached to the good opinion of others. They were not power driven and they were uh, – what was the other non-attachment? They were unattached outcome. Those three things were the thing that they all shared, which is non-attachment. So you know, like Christ said, I'm in this world but I'm not of it. There's there's a, a recognition there that, yes, I'm part of this, right? And, and to your question, like I, you have to recognize that I'm part of this but but there's a part of me that's not of this. And when you recognize that, I think you can alleviate suffering. Does it mean you're not going to feel pain? I'm sure that hurt to, to get stuck on the cross, right? I'm sure that hurt. There was pain there. 
but you recognize that there's there's also a cleansing to it. You know, it's it's like Viktor Frankl. You talked about the concentration camps. Well, everybody else was dying in miserable ways around him, but he chose to not have his spirit imprisoned. There's power in that. Does that mean you're not going to die tomorrow? You might. You might. Christ did. Martin he might have had a did. spiritual death while he was going through that experience. Or rebirth. Or, or, rebirth. or however, it's all perspective, right? Yeah. It's all pers- it's all relative. Yeah, or but, a response, a control response. Well, he talks about seeing uh, this vision of his wife in the clouds. Mm. And that was the thing that, that gave him purpose. And that's and the guy comes out, you know, and he's suffering in a way that, that I can I can barely fathom what that is. I've been to jail. Still nothing compared to what this man went through. Your entire family's killed. You're treated like a dog. You're given these slops of food and you're out there working and without shoes in the winter to build these war machines and whatever. Like, and, and you, you could die at any given moment. Like to, to have to, to think about living through something like that and be able to come out of it with this, oh, but if you have meaning, you can get through everything. That, that's that ascension. Yeah, I think there's a more simple way. You just you made me think that that death adds a moral value, I guess, to my life. It does now, and it and it doesn't in any sort of really existential way. It's it's more about just a human connection. So my so passing on a legacy, essentially. Yeah. When you're yeah. talking about Martin Luther King Jr., it's like. Uh, the importance that I would place upon my uh, relationships with others, um, children, anybody, anybody I encounter throughout my life, being able to um, have a drive to have an impact, to pass on some sort of like legacy or positive memory, um, that that's really all at this point I – I conceptualize a meaning around death. You know what I mean? Um, and, and that gives me – that puts it in a positive light to where I have like a moral value of that. I have a responsibility of that. I have a responsibility to treat people well, to to do the best by you and by my kids. Including and yourself. And myself. Treating right? – yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a moral responsibility. <laughs> I mean I, I – I would agree with that. I guess we somebody might take that differently, right? But there, there really is. You know, the time is limited, at least from the physical perspective. It is. There's no getting around it. This is our truth, so to speak, at this particular moment. How do we capitalize on that? Well, we add some value to it. Why people choose to believe? I can choose to believe that we're worm food, but I, I like the other way better. It just feels better. I could. Could I be wrong? Sure. <laughs> You know what I mean, but I, but I'd rather if I got a choice. Well, why not take the one that feels better? And if you are wrong, by the end, what's it matter? What's it matter? Yeah, I, I, so anyway, I, we got the uh, we got the wave. We're done. Um, we could speak for days on this, and yeah. and uh, but keep the comments coming, and we will continue doing what we do. Thank you. Thanks.